and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. folks and welcome back to Strength to be Human. I'm your host, uh, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. Tonight we're going to be doing an episode on the spoken word, pretty much the performance of the spoken word in various places. And that's going to be the name of this episode, episode 153, the performance of spoken word. And let's talk a little bit about this. I uh, want to have this episode for a while, just try to put it together and kind of get to all the different angles. I, I got some uh, experience and certainly some appreciation of it. Good end for the bad, okay? Now, I remember when I went to Germany in the Air Force, and that was actually the first time in Frankfurt where I actually did a spoken word, you know, session at, at a cafe. Uh, I, I I guess you could say uh, psychologically, because, you know, when it's your first time on anything, you're always going to be a little nervous, but I didn't feel as nervous as I should have, not because I was young, or even because I'm carrying a gun at the time, uh, but because I figured, hey, most of these people don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. They probably don't even speak English. So what the hell am I worried about? <laughs> That's literally how I felt until I realized later on, uh, yeah, everybody speaks English in this place. <laughs> the figures. But I, I thought overall went well. I got to meet a couple of people, and I went back a number of times over the course of my time uh, living in Germany, which was about five years. So it became a, a routine place to... I guess to try out material. Sometimes you feel like one of those uh, those comedians that go on the road and they say, I'm going to go try out some material at this club first before I get to the road. I don't know. I always kind of felt like that. And it, it, it was a lot. Of, it was actually a lot of fun. I, I thought and more, more times than not, it was uh, a social function. Remember, we used to have social functions before we had the social media, okay? And uh, back when this was happening, 85 and 86, that's 1985 and 1986, uh, particularly, um, you know, we didn't really have any formal internet or any of this other stuff we have now. So uh, people actually talked to each other and, you know, made contact and, you know, did spoken words and, you know, real places where people congregated. <laughs> uh, I'm being a little facetious here, but nevertheless, that did occur. So I want to uh, talk about it in this show is, that, you know, I, mean, I like to do it in different sections as much as I can. So I'm going to have the bright side of, of performance of poetry and, and the dark side of it, and then we'll have a, a final word on it, okay? All right. Bright side. Really, it's an excellent opportunity for you to sort of kind of get an idea of what your poem might sound out. I mean, you could speak to yourself all day long with it, but, um, you know, until someone else can hear it, even if it's in your living room, it, it's still spoken word. Some people need that more than others. It just depends on the type of writer that you want to be. But I can tell you this, there is an enormous difference between the poem you write for an audience versus the poem you write, you know, for print or for a flat page or for an internet journal or something like that. It really is a big difference because you're not really 
when you're writing for a page, you're not really trying to get that that whole emotion uh, through a, a combination of words. You're not really trying to get a certain ta- a sound or tone. You know, you, remember, you could even do things in spoken word uh, through your body or hitting something or smacking something or whatever. I mean, some people even actually bring like a sound device with them and, you know, something like that. I mean, I've heard I've heard that before. I'm going, what? I, when I was in Germany, a guy hit a cowbell uh, between each stanza. I don't know what that was all about, but uh, it, it certainly did draw some attention to him. What the hell is this guy hitting a cowbell for? I don't know, but it is kind of cool. So you can't really do that on, on, on works on, on the page. You really can't. Uh, you, you're, you're really like left to the mercy of what you tried to do, how well you tried to organize it, how good of a moment that might have been for you when you're writing it, how the hell that might, rewrite might have worked out, all of that. So it's really an entirely different experience where with the performance poetry, you really are listening to your own words and, and how they are conveyed and also maybe how they're received. You're listening to them a lot more carefully than you normally do. And that is, of course, good reason, because sometimes the work could have a, a, a real impact on people. But once it goes onto the page, it doesn't. It doesn't always transfer very well. So we have to keep that in mind. But I find the bright side is it brings another dimension to poetry that it, it didn't really have before. Now, in, in case you're not aware, though, this is exactly how poetry started because this is what it used to be called song. People didn't have all these onglinged voices. <gasps> they didn't do all of that while some dude was hitting a bongo or something or, or hitting a bong or whatever he was hitting. <laughs> uh, they would just simply write uh, what would be called a poem or a psalm or something and just, you know, say it out there in, in, a, in a convincing, possibly even passionate way. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in clean textures. You know, that sort of thing. And that was actually a song. And people would actually listen. they go around somebody who would do that. If you ever watch Spartacus, the movie, you'll see Tony Curtis do that. He was actually, what would you consider, a, a, a singer then. But that's really like a, a, a guy who's conveying a poem he read. He's a poem performance poet. But again, that was what they called the singing back then. And they actually have a scene with them doing that. So it was really great. You don't get to see that a lot in movies or anything else because people, you know, either they've forgotten or they just haven't really taken uh, much historical attention. So that's how it all really started. This is what David did in the Psalms in the Bible. And he had a lot of time because all he was doing is, you know, hanging out with sheep all day. All right, let me write another Psalm over here because, you know, I don't know how many times I could hit this wolf over the head to keep it from eating sheep. I got some days it probably should eat the sheep so I can get some more writing done. So imagine the kind of life he had, you know, until he's over there. I mean, he probably wanted to fight Goliath. Just he's like, I'm so tired of these sheep. And I've done enough poems today. So let me just go over and try to kill somebody. It'd be more interesting. That I can't imagine the stuff that was in his head. But again, that would be somebody that wrote something like that and then later on would convey that. In fact, in many instances, you can actually sing some of those psalms and in some churches that's what they actually do they actually sing the psalm because that's what a psalm means it really means a song see so back in those days there really wasn't much of a, a difference between the poem and the song they were pretty much interchangeable later on when we sort of learn about 
vocalizations and all that. That's when, you know, things became, Lord is my killer, you know, and all that. But uh, back then, no. So there's still a real connection to what's being done. Now, the great deal of performance uh, poetry is often done. And believe it or not, it's not really changed for like 30 or 40 years. It's pretty much done, you know, in, in some used bookstore that might have a, a stage. Uh, it could be done in a, in a cafe. I know a lot of people do these things in Starbucks now, but uh, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I never really felt that that's the best place. I, I'd rather have a more traditional coffee place or maybe even some place that looks a little run down. To me, it just seems like it catches the moment better and it just makes me feel better. Going into a brand new place where everybody's on their laptop and I'm trying to relay some deep thing, you know, to me, it, it's a little distracting and, and, and just I don't really feel it's the kind of environment, you know, that I would prefer. That's just me. There's plenty of people that do that. I got it. Uh, some people do it in theaters. Sometimes they'll have an open thing where they'll have a, a bunch of people do uh, even a certain theme, possibly, and just sort of do it like if they were doing an open call to read a, a, a play or read a script. Just, you know, you read your, your poetry and performance. So some theaters open themselves up to that. But for the most part, it really hasn't changed. I, I know uh, HBO for a while did that in the, um, I think it was... Uh, around the 90s or so, that it, they did that poetry uh, Def Jam thing where, you know, uh, Russell Williams had a, excuse me, Russell Simmons had a, a number of people come out there and just read some poems. And some of them were really good. But again, you're, you're going to have those folks that it's much, much more difficult to, uh, you know, trance over it. And of course, it, you know, with some spoken word, you're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of dialect sometimes from folks, a lot of that uh, street jargon and many things that you might not even completely understand. Even if you put it on page, what the hell does this mean exactly, you know? So uh, it makes it a really different experience. And in many instances, it, it can turn from a performance poetry uh, uh, situation into almost like a cultural event. I know and uh, for the uh, the Neo-Rican uh, poets out there in New York, uh, they did that for a long time. They had the place open up and, and a lot of the, the, the foremost Puerto Rican poets came out there and, and were doing their work. Oftentimes, it, it inter, interspersed with uh, English and uh, Spanglish, as they used to say, mixing the Spanish and English together. Uh, sometimes it was just all kinds of interesting street jargon or just things that are just, you know, uh, specifically Puerto Rican. You know, like when someone says, yeah, like the coke you know, that, that's just pretty much the sound of a frog that is part of, uh, of the, uh, the Puerto Rican uh, ecosystem. The little coke frog, we call it that because... That's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like ribbit, ribbit. It sounds like a pokey, pokey. That's literally what it sounds like. So that's what they say. That's something that's really uh, part of the, the Puerto Rican culture. So um, it's it's not like unusually hear that in a poem or even in between poems when someone's saying some pokey thing. So it's it's cool to learn that. And, and sometimes, like I said, that experience it, it's so it's so uplifting and, and many instances educational. Uh, of course, it's incredibly social. You know, and but it's nothing like the like, like the written word. It's simply it, it's more lively. It has uh, that I, I feel that third, maybe even that fourth dimension in it. So it really brings a, a whole nother life and spirit to words and, and to writing that you were not going to get anywhere. And that's what makes it still so much important, and and I feel still a vital to this day. So I'm definitely a big a uh, big supporter of it. And I wish I would uh, see more of it. You know, I, I definitely like to uh, see more, even of my own community. I wish I had more time. I just do so much right now. 
uh, it's kind of hard to break away because it's, it's not really, you know, an event where you can go say, yeah, hang out for 20 minutes or something or just that, whatever, especially if you want to organize it. You know, it, it, it's an evening. It's not a joke. You know, you, you want to bring a bunch of people over and you're hoping you're going to have some decent attendance and everybody's having, you know, so fun to do it. And maybe afterwards, there's people you know, learning about each other or maybe uh, connecting or something. So but I definitely want to see uh, uh, more of it out there. And, and I really think that when we start losing some of that, we, we do lose a bit, you know, of, of the culture of, of, of writing, of the arts, when we don't have a, enough of that out there. So, you know, I remember when I lived in California writing my plays at the time, which is ironic because of the bulk of my plays I wrote when I lived in California and I never got one play produced in California. <laughs> I'm serious. New Zealand, England, New York. New Jersey, all kinds of places in Never California. I don't know how that worked out, but that's how it worked out. But I did a lot of reading there in California, and you could literally go um, into the, the either the the Sunday uh, entertainment section or in some cases the Wednesday entertainment section, and literally there'd be like listings upon listings of all these different cafes that had all these different writers. And they, you know, if you tell them in advance, you know, which uh, you, you would um. You know, drop them a little postcard or something, or I think they had a request line where you can even leave, leave some information. This Mark Rouse I'm going to be over at the Blue Moon Cafe over in Santa Mesa or something like that, you know, uh, from 7.30 to 8.30, something you know, like that. And they would actually publish that in there. So you'd see all kinds of listings from all kinds of folks. Some people you recognize because you know them after a while. Oh, she's going to be over there. Maybe I can go over there and hang out for a while before I'm going to go back and do my thing. So I had a lot of fun doing all that, and all kinds of different towns they had it, you know. And 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 before the malls, malls actually started doing this to a certain extent. But before that was really popular, when I, I visited the mall in the, uh, California, it, it wasn't doing that. Just kind of like I don't know, a little upsetting because later on they had like I don't know Tiffany and and uh, I don't know all these little silly uh, singing girls from back in the day. They, they were doing stuff. I'm like, really, you let Tiffany do that? We can do some poetry? What the heck? So they used to they used to get my uh, craw there a little bit on that. Because that really wasn't my kind of music. But again, if you're going to do some music, you should do, do some poetry too. Hell, you could even probably uh, do a, a monologue over there. Why not if it's interesting? Later on, they did do more of that in the 90s. But I know in the 80s, it still was in its infancy. Lots of malls I know didn't do anything like that. They probably said, what the heck are you talking about? I wish I knew how it was introduced. It'd be interesting to find out, but I never did find out. But I found out later on it was starting to become more interesting and popular. I wound up doing uh, a spoken word at a mall, but it was in New Jersey. So I like the idea. We have right now. It's probably a lot harder to do. I would think because of COVID and all that. I think it's not exactly people want to get that close to each other and. I don't know how you do the whole social distancing and you're like shouting out stuff. The night was dark. I mean, do, 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 you know, because it's like 18 people in the place and it, it looks like there's only five because everybody's spread out. <laughs> you know, I can imagine. So I, I'm not really sure how much is being done right now or, or how safe that is or if it's even allowed and or if those places are even open, you know, for that. So you have to, you have to, you have to wonder. But, um, Definitely when things become back to some kind of form of normalcy one day, probably going to be next year the way this is going, uh, we definitely want to see more of that come back. I definitely do. And I've committed my own self to try to do a few more, especially like to do something with my kids get to see once in a while. 
you know, before they get old and not care about me anymore. So it would be nice for that, at least just for that reason alone. And I'll just pick out something that they might actually understand versus something that's like, you know, rough or dark or, you know, deep or something. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't want to do that. You know, do something that might be a little bit more fun and upbeat. I got a spray paint poem, actually, that, that's kind of fun and hip. So I might want to do that. But I don't know why, because I wrote that in Germany. I don't know why I never did that in spoken word anywhere. Yeah. Amazing. It was called Rebel with Regard. <laughs> I got to do that. I'm going to definitely do that in one of my uh, showings here one of these days. I'm telling you. Uh, even if I got to go on barge to a cafe place. Listen, I'm coming here. I'm buying coffee. I'm doing this damn poem whether you like it or not. Okay? Tell the police guy you can arrest me after the poem. Don't, don't tell him no. Don't interrupt me in the middle of it, okay? That would be the crime, all right? That would be the crime. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sort of, I'm sort of psyched about it. And the more I think about it, the more, uh, more fun I remember having through the whole thing. But things, you know, things change in terms of your life, and it's not always uh, easy to get to places or do things. You lose touch with people, and then sometimes you're just going in, you know, different directions. I know when I, when I started off in my whole theater genre and everything, I mean, it was more about all of that and how encompassing that can be. I literally stopped for years at one point of, of doing any kind of performance, uh, spoken word, because I really didn't have the time. You know, between that and work, I'm like, Oof, that was enough. But definitely uh, interested in, in, in that again, and I certainly urge you guys. All right, now let's talk about the dark side, because believe it or not, there is a dark side. The dark side of performance poetry. One of the things that I've seen often is... Uh, Sometimes people, I don't know if they don't recognize this or not, but I've come across a lot of people back in the day, you know, and, and even people who tell me now that they don't have a lot of writing credits, but they can go to like 29 different cafes and read stuff. So I really think that it's important that people do have a balance. Now, it has a place, performance poetry in our lives, in the arts, out in the world. No one can take anything away from that. Neither will I. Okay, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to strike a balance because you know, in the end, unless somehow you're recording everything and you're gonna figure out how to release some CDs or some downloads about you or how great you are doing this, you know, the moment is there and the moment is gone, and maybe it's the only you that remembers it ten years later, not because you were bad, just because that's just the way things are. You know, it's not the same thing as some, showing somebody a book of stuff that you have, you know, printed or a magazine or something. It's a completely different thing. So you really need to find a way to strike a balance. And I found a lot of people that don't. In fact, some of them, they almost sort of get in a sort of a kick or a high off of it. You know, thinking that they were like, you know, traveling comedians or, you know, out there like, you know, Bruce Springsteen with just a guitar and, you know, acoustically in the audience or something. It's important what we do, and it's important, I think, out there for our work. Don't get me wrong, but you don't want to make it more than it is. And again, if you take more of you submitting stuff out there as well, to me, I, I think in many ways you wind up harming you know, your, your career. I mean, I've talked to, I, I swear, at least 15 of these performance poets just in the last couple of years because I talk to people on a regular basis. I like to know what's going on with folks. Almost all of them told me they didn't have any book. Out. They didn't even have a chapbook out. They had very few credits. At least three or four of them said, you know, I haven't even been published yet. But I love doing this. People are just really responding well. And that's great. 
but you don't have anything else to even offer them. Hey, go check me out next month over at uh, you know the the blue moon dot com or you know I'm I'm coming up here on the, on Indian periodicals or hey I got a book out and here's the press uh, information on it. Go check it out, please, if you like this. I mean, you can't even say anything like that. It's just whatever you've done is what you've done. To me, that becomes like the dark side of it because you're not really, I feel, getting the most out of that moment. You're really not. Remember, it's a fleeting moment. Sort of like, you know, kissing a girl in the park and then it starts raining. You know, that damn moment is now ruined. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like that. And you, 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 you can tell everybody, yeah, I kissed her. Man, was that great. And, uh, you know, three weeks later, you, you barely remember it. So it's it's a lot like that. It can be very fleeting, and it's really really important that you follow that up with things that you're doing in other areas as well. I'm not trying to dissuade you from doing spoken word. You want to do one? You want to do a gig? <laughs> I don't know why they call it a gig because that's really more for like a comedian or a, a musician. But okay, you want to do a gig once a week, twice a week for the next 29 years? Great. Just don't forget about all the other stuff because in the end, that's really where you're going to have a legacy at, and then quite frankly, in the end, that's really where you're going to be more remembered at. So they can get a little dark that way. Where you got folks that, and I guess some folks that are almost like social addicts to it too. They like sitting down, smoking a million cigarettes, and drinking this and doing that, and blah blah blah. And you know, I, I'm not really sure what that is. And I'm saying that that stuff shouldn't be done, but evaluate it while you're there. If you haven't done anything else, and it's just about the drinking and the smoking. You know, you could probably do that without the poem. So, I, again, let's make sure that whatever we're doing, I, I feel anyway, it's my opinion, okay, there's no spoken word rule out there. So, don't email me about, how dare you? All right, because I'm going to laugh at that email, okay? It's my opinion that you should do whatever you can to make the most of the moment. I don't care if you just got one credit last week. Hey, folks, I got a poem coming out over in scoobydooland.com. All right, great. Gotta have something more than just, you know, I'm here, I'm doing some poems. Hope the hell you like them. I'm going to have a drink later and, you know, maybe we can talk. <laughs> All right? Because I really think it's important to make the most of the moment. It is your time. Why not use it to the best of your ability? And that, that's, that's my opinion on that. I don't like the idea of not having anything else to push or to market, so to speak. You know, it sounds strange. It might even sound like, oh, my God, he's more of a businessman than he is an artist. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but... You're not out there pushing your work. Who's going to be doing that for you? So if you're out there doing it and you're talking to a bunch of people, why not tell them something? I've actually heard in a couple of instances where they just said they're actually pushing somebody else's work. Hey, um, you don't have a book or anything else at the moment here, but uh, my friend Jimbo does. You want to go check his stuff out. I, I, I love the sentiment, okay? And it's good that writers are trying to help other writers, okay? But I don't really see how this is helpful when uh, you're telling somebody who just heard your work, who might actually like your work, to go buy somebody else's work who they don't know, that they haven't heard, probably not even the damn cafe inside there. What, what the hell is that supposed to be doing to somebody? It doesn't make any sense. But uh, the folks have done that before. Almost like that. I don't have anything, so I got to go say something to make it look good. It, it doesn't make it look good. Maybe it should be quiet then. Because that's not a good idea. It really isn't. And, of course, I've known some folks that, and I don't know why, but it, I, I've seen comments from folks, and, and folks a couple have told me a couple of times, uh, you know, how they think it's 
it's more of a superior form than writing and you know it, it's really the the next level of of of, of words and it, i don't know any about that stuff okay i'm, I'm not a, i'm not convinced that writing on the page is better than the spoken word so if i'm not convinced of that i don't know why you're convinced that speaking in in a room of 25 people is is supposed to be the you know the the highest uh height of artistic achievement that you can do um, i don't know what that's supposed to be about so i don't know if they were just getting too many uh, whiskey sours in there after the performance or or if they're just hitting too many of these places and it's getting to their head it's not a good idea okay it really isn't right there's no good or bad about uh what what way you want to go about things i'm just i'm just urging people if somebody's been around a long time that you should try to find some sort of balance because I, I, the dark side is talking to a writer one day, and I have done it a few times already, where they're lamenting about, uh, you know, I could have probably did a 50, 60, 80 more poems if I just spent more time on that instead of going out there so much. You know, now I got people interested in my work, and I don't even have enough to give them. Imagine, imagine being in a position where somebody says, I'd love to have a chapbook of your material, and I'll give you a publishing opportunity if you come over here. And I, I mean a real opportunity, folks. Now this vanity, you pay somebody and they rob you crap. I mean something real, where you're not paying anybody, they're investing in you. And then you're like, I, I, I got maybe 15 poems. And anybody knows that uh, even the, the least amount of a chapbook, it's hard to get away with anything less than 20, 24. And that's like a low chapbook, all right? 15, that, that's stretching it. I don't know if they could put some art in there, or maybe you can come up with something else that might be good when the time they're ready to go. But imagine being that way. Imagine writing for a couple of good years. And really getting the flow down and really kind of understanding yourself and the world and everything. And you, and you only got like 15 written poems to your name. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And to me, in many ways, it's inexcusable. So find some balance. Because it doesn't all begin or end in performance. And it doesn't all begin and end in writing. There is a, a way you can do all of this. But when someone needs to put something together for you, they're not saying... Hey, uh, Jim, you think I could rush over there and do, just do like a recording while you're doing this? And then we could try to get something cut out for you. No one's doing that. There's not really too much of that going on. Okay? But you might have somebody saying, I like this a lot, man. Let's do something together. And, uh, and then you don't have much. So don't get stuck in that kind of predicament. Because to me, that's not really, this is my opinion, okay? That's not really building a road to success. It really isn't. It, to me, it's like building a road to anonymity. You know, uh, yeah, this is my path on not ever getting known, because that's what it is, and that's never a good idea. If our work is important to us, and we've put time into it, or maybe in this case, not putting enough time into it, you know, on the on the written word part, you know, it, it, it could hurt us. It could bite us in in the butt. And there isn't millions of opportunities out there that where well, people are gonna knock on your door. You know how I many people that I, I, I've asked, hey, you want to come on the show and interview? Get, I know you get a book out, and I like some of the stuff you're doing, and they just say, no, too busy. No, I'm not really interested. No, I'm afraid. No, this and no that. And I, I'm not somebody that has a big head. I just tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not, whether you like it or not, hell, whether you like me or not. Okay? If you're going to say something like that, I hope to God you got like three or four other things lined up. Because it's not like every day, Someone's going to come out there and do that. It's just not going to happen. 
how many times I've reached across the, the Facebook when I've seen somebody and say, why the hell are you posting that poem on this stupid wall? Why? You're a good writer. Come on, I, I, I'll publish this if you take it off of there in my aerial chart. I think it's great. And why don't you go out there and actually go submit something? This is good work. I've done that a few times. Sometimes they said yes, and other times they're like, no. I, I really like the instant gratification when when the bunch of strangers hit like. So that really means a lot more to me. A lot more than a credit. This is what I mean. And this is where sometimes the spoken word can, I think, get diminished down to. Almost like that Facebook like thing. Mark, I got like 64 likes. Let me tell you something, folks. When you get a book together, maybe you could write down all those likes uh, and all their names and find out where all their profiles are at. See how many books they're going to buy from you, those 64 people that like. Okay? See how much that, uh, is that is hogwash. And some of that is just to, to go with the flow. And some of that is just to make everybody feel good. See how many of those people are going to buy your book? 64. Get back to me on that because I already know the answer. I've done this crap already. Okay? It's not a great answer. Not a high number. In fact, that number doesn't even have two digits. So, unfortunately, that's where you're at on that sort of situation. So, if you want to do that, you're free to do so. It's a free society. Well, at least for now, anyway. But, like anything we do, it's a choice. There's a consequence. So, if you want to do something like that, why not do it once in a while? I don't think it hurts. But it's not something you want to do on a regular basis. Because when you do that, you, you fool yourself. I think there's nothing worse, in my opinion, in writing is to do things that fool yourself. Like go to the, the vanity publisher and pay somebody a bunch of money for nonsense that is not real. You know, put a bunch of poems on the Facebook uh, wall all over the place. And yeah, I got 18 people that like me. A couple of people even commented, Mark. That's cool. I'm going to give you a comment, too. Stop that crap. <laughs> Get on to the real, okay? There's some places out there that love your work. Yeah, that's right. But unfortunately, I think that the dark side of the spoken word, just like the, uh, the Facebook wall thing, is that lots of people get addicted to this because they don't really get a sense of rejection. You're not going to be in a cafe and people are going to boo your work, even if they don't like it. It's just not going to happen, really. So you don't really feel the rejection. But guess what? You can't grow as a person or as a writer if you don't have rejection. You're not going to get too much of that from the Facebook either, okay? 68 likes is not exactly a rejection until you peddle your book to them. Then, then you'll understand what rejection means. But who would like you to go through that? I don't. Part of a parent is you hope to God that your children don't make too many of your own mistakes with understanding and a realization that there's only so much you can stop them. Sometimes the mistakes are necessary because it might be the only way these little knuckleheads are going to learn anything. Maybe it's the only way you're going to learn something. But still, I'm one of those people that are going to tell you, I've been there, I've done that, it's not the greatest idea. And there's nothing worse, I feel, than fooling yourself. It's actually worse than rejection. Because sometimes you're rejected for reasons that have nothing to do with your writing. Sometimes you're rejected just because the editor is lazy, or they can't understand what you're doing. Or somehow it doesn't fit in the whole gist of the, uh, the magazine, and it's a secret theme that they haven't told the world about, but they're going to tell you about in some bullcrap uh, form letter. All right? So sometimes that's not even real rejection. This is a bunch of nonsense. But the pain of you deceiving yourself, well, that's a whole other thing. So try to stay away from that, please. Okay? All right, final word. 
we're we're living in times right now where things are going to change in the landscape uh, of our universe in the next year or two that might not ever go back again. You're going to probably see more and more of businesses pulling out of cities, becoming more remote, as remote is now proven to be something that's very useful and actually inexpensive for a business. I can't tell me how many businesses I already talked to that are already doing this. They're pulling back. Oh, my God, I can save so much money on, on capital improvement funds and on uh, brick and mortar uh, fees and, and, and uh, general overhead. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to put a big electric bill out. Let everybody else do their own electric bill because you can get them all out there to do your work remote. One more that's going to happen. You're going to see, and I tell my children this all the time, they're only starting to believe me now because of COVID. But I've been telling them for the last couple of years, by the time you guys are married and have your own children, theaters won't exist anymore. Everything will just be streamed into your house, right from Hollywood. You'll pay some package fee or whatever, and then you get to see it. That's how they'll get their money. Theaters won't be around anymore. Now, every so often, there might be a, a, a regular theater out there that has a stage for plays and stuff that might throw a movie out there as a special event, and maybe people can bring their kids with something to have a wax nostalgic about the days when we had theater. But the movie theaters, they're, they're, they're going to be gone, and they, they won't be coming back. So get in as much as you can on spoken word whenever you can, because we just don't know going forward, you know, how many coffee shops are really going to be around left, how many bookstores, bookstores are uh, dying independently uh, more and more as, uh, you know, chains are out there. And sometimes even chains are dying because of, of the way people are buying books, whether through eBay or Amazon or, you know, just digitally through the ebook sort of form. So that's actually changing in another world uh, for us as well. And more and more of this stuff is going to shift away from the social element and people are going to be more you know, by themselves or in their own communities or in their own homes. You might not have as many opportunities anymore. People might have to invent opportunities. Hell, you might even have to invent some Zoom thing you do and then beam it up to people, tell people about it. I did spoken word on Zoom at this time. It is blah, 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 blah. And who knows what other new formats they might come out that people could do. Maybe even charge a fee. Sometimes do it just for, for art and, and for social uh, contact. But that live thing, it, it, that could be gone in a couple of years. So if you love it or if you haven't done much of it or if you just you want to get something in there before it goes away, I, I, that would be uh, what I would urge you to do. Don't get excited about it. Don't get addicted about it. But have fun with it and, and do it. Because I think for our own children's sake, uh, you know, a lot, or even our grandchildren's sake, a lot of this stuff might not be around anymore. So try to keep that in, in mind. Uh, going forward, uh, I'm not trying to give you a, a, a dark idea here, a dark thought about it. It's just that this is my impressions about the ways things are starting to move, and we need to keep that in mind when we uh, when we consider the performance word. I don't know. Maybe you can get yourself recorded. I know there's a lot of these uh, MP3 uh, digital recorders. They're really small. You can just put them right down the podium. You can do your spoken word thing and record yourself. So there's a lot of things you can do that maybe you want to kind of keep as a you know, a, a memento for the event or, or something along that line. Or maybe you have somebody filming or something. I know people do that all the time and put it on, on Facebook. It's still an important thing for us to do. And quite frankly, uh, without saying ironic here, uh, it, it'll be something that will be missed if we don't figure out a way to keep it alive. But let's try to figure out a way to keep it alive that makes sense and, and that still makes it 
uh, to be a, a worthy event and something vital. And let's just try to change it around, do something different with it. I'd like somebody to do something like that. I really would. I wish I had a lot of ideas about what that could be, but you know, my experience in it is only uh, if you put it all together, a couple years worth out of thirty-seven years of writing. So, got experience, but uh, I haven't done it all my life. But I really think that it could make an interesting comeback if we try to figure out how to fit it in the new world that's coming ahead. Until next time, folks. God bless and thank you. That was episode one hundred and fifty-three, the performance of spoken word. Good night. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.